invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians, the New Testament, chapter 1. Our passage today is verses 1 through 14. You can find this on page 983 in the Pew Bibles in front of you if you'd like to follow along there. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, please take one of those as our gift to you. And we would love for you to begin reading that on a daily basis. I'm going to be reading just the first few verses of our passage today. And then as we come to the verses subsequently through the message, we'll read them together. Please stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. The Lord indeed, speak as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. By way of introduction to our series, I'd like to, for us to learn a little bit about the circumstances of the writing of this letter to the church at Colossae. This was a city situated in the Lycus Valley in what today is Turkey. Uh, it was once a very thriving city, but by the time of this letter it had become overshadowed. And I'm going to help you find it here, so if you can see the little red dot. There's uh, three cities here together that are mentioned in the book. Uh, Hierapolis uh, to the north, Laodicea to the south, and Colossae just a little bit to the east there. You could kind of think of these cities um, in terms of distance and location from one another, uh, not unlike Columbia, Irmo, and Chapin. Uh, Columbia being uh, Hierapolis, Laodicea a few miles down the road, like us here in Irmo, and Colossae a bit further, 12 miles or so uh, further out, uh, like our neighbors up the road in, in Chapin. Um, these cities uh, experienced a massive earthquake in about A.D. 70, this, this valley, um, destroying the cities. They were rebuilt, but never quite to their former glory. And Colossae had become, by this time in its history, by the time of the writing of this letter, in some ways a, a, a backwater. They were off the main path, sort of like many of the towns uh, that have suffered the consequence of the interstate system, where the roads no longer go through, and so the towns are no longer as politically important. And yet Paul believed that he should take the time to address the issues there at the church. Of course, Laodicea, you'll recognize that as one of the churches, uh, the seven churches mentioned in the Apostle John's revelation. Um, and so we have more information about that church in that book. According to his own words, uh, Paul did not plant these churches in the Lycus Valley, 
nor had he ever visited the congregations in person. He, he may very well have traveled through the area. Uh, one of the routes to get to Ephesus would have been through the Lycus Rally, uh, Valley. There was a major road there. And so it is possible that he passed through the towns, but that would have likely been before the churches were founded. So the preaching of the gospel and the founding of these churches was done by the work of Epaphras. Um, he was one who had encountered Paul in Ephesus, had been under Paul's teaching, and experienced the gospel. Paul refers to him as a fellow slave or bond servant, uh, and also a fellow prisoner. Um, again, Ephesus, if you look up here, is about a hundred miles uh, to the west of these three cities in this area. That would have been the major metropolitan area that, and of course the book of Ephesians having been written uh, for that church there. Paul was in Ephesus for a three-year stint. Uh, he remained in Ephesus, uh, at least in terms of what we know, almost longer than anywhere else, longer than he was in Corinth for that period of time he was there. So he had a very long ministry and fruitful ministry in Ephesus, and of course, as a result, had influence on the surrounding area uh, and folks that were coming to hear his teaching. This next picture will give you a sense of the geography and the region. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful mountains uh, there in this modern city at the foot of those mountains there in the Lycus Valley. Um, and there was a river, of course, passing through that valley with mountains on either side. And so this is what the folks at the Colossian church would have woken up to every day, uh, not unlike what it looks like up the road about 100 miles for us. When Paul returned to Jerusalem, he was apprehended and put in prison in Caesarea on the coast. So he traveled back. This is his third missionary journey. And you'll, if I can find my little pointer guy here, um, all the way back over here on the right, your right of this uh, map, uh, you'll see Jerusalem. And then to the north of that on the coast, uh, Caesarea, where he was uh, imprisoned for a little bit more than a year or so. And then at his request, uh, he had the right to appeal to Caesar because of his Roman citizenship. Uh, he was escorted to Rome and was there for over four years in house arrest there. During these, this imprisonment of Paul, during this five, six year period or so, um, the church at Colossae was thriving and growing and was, was um, having an impact in that area under the leadership of Epaphras uh, as well as other leaders there. And so... Um, at the time of the writing of this, we see Paul in prison and uh, Epaphras visiting him there. And ultimately, it says that Epaphras, it looks like, was imprisoned alongside with Paul. So a close relationship exists between the letters to the Colossian church and also to the letter to Philemon, who was a member at that church, an individual member. They were written and likely delivered at the same time as the letter to the Ephesians was written and delivered. And you'll remember we encountered Tychicus in our study in Titus recently. Um, he and Onesimus, Philemon's slave, um, who was to return to Philemon and with the letter that Paul was encouraging um, Philemon to release him and to treat him as a brother in Christ. And so they, they were the two that Paul uh, had delivered these letters back to this region. Colossians, of course, being the letter to the whole church and Philemon being a letter to a specific member within that church and that body. According to John Knox, he goes, far, he goes as far as to say in this relationship of the two books that the whole of Colossians is more or less overshadowed by Paul's concern about Onesimus. 
the slave who is the subject of the letter to Philemon. And this perhaps explains in part why Paul focuses so much in his letter on forgiveness and kindness. The purpose for Paul's letter is a response to false teaching about the gospel that had infiltrated the Colossian church and the other churches in the region. And while we don't know the specific error uh, that was happening in Colossae, we can put some things together based on Paul's corrective. And he warns the Colossians with these words in chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And while there were a number of Jews in the city of Colossae, the congregation here was primarily Gentile. F.F. Bruce says that while the Colossian heresy was basically Jewish uh, in nature, it is not the straightforward Judaizing legalism that we see in the book of Galatians that Paul addresses there, but rather a form of mysticism. Um, they were involved in visions and achieving a higher level of spirituality through these things. Jesus and the message of the gospel had become insufficient for the Colossian church. They found it necessary to add on the mystical experiences, superior knowledge, and works to attain a, a higher state of spirituality. According to commentator Douglas Moo, they were so preoccupied with their own program for spiritual fullness that they, were separate, they had separated themselves from the only true source of spiritual power, the Lord Jesus, the one in whom God in all his fullness is to be found, and the one through whom God has accomplished the reconciliation of the world. So Paul reminds this dear church that he had never visited, but yet had an affection and love for, that Jesus alone is preeminently enough. No add-ons to the message of the gospel should be needed or even tolerated. We too must be careful to keep the main thing the main thing. Our culture, our tendencies, they're no different. We constantly find things to pile on and to add on to the centrality of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Voices from the outside in our culture and world, voices from the inside of our own hearts, would try to convince us that we need something more. I mean, here's a very common question today, right? What's your identity? What makes you who you are? Well, there are a lot of answers in our culture for that. Your family name, your career, your sexual orientation, your skin color, your political affiliation, your place of birth, your church affiliation, your theological framework, nationalism, uh, important moral cause, maybe your friends group or your children or spouse, an addiction, getting likes on social media, entertainment, education. I hope I've been able to offend everybody in the room at some point here. <laughs> Many of these things can aid in pointing us to the sufficiency of Christ alone. But the moment they become ends in themselves, they will become distractions and worse yet a stumbling block to Christ's preeminence in our lives. 
So as we go through this study over the course of the summer, we'll seek to answer this question. Is Jesus enough? For each one of us as individual believers and for the part of the body of Christ that is St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. So periodically, just to make sure that you're staying awake and tracking with me, I'm going to ask a question and await your response. And the question is, is Jesus enough? And the answer is, Jesus, Jesus is more than enough. So let's practice. Is Jesus enough? Amen. Now back to our text for our message today in verse 3. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this... You have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Like any good communicator, Paul knew that the importance of beginning with the positive affirming where they were and what God had been doing in their midst before launching into a corrective. The Colossians had a beautiful gospel legacy. The legacy began with their faith in Jesus Christ, bringing conversion and salvation to this group of folks there in that city and establishing and growing a church based on those salvations. And the seed of the gospel that had been planted in Colossae had deep, abiding, firm roots. It was a strong faith, a faith that blossomed into love for the saints, love for one another, a love that was there by reputation that others knew about, a fellowship of love among brothers and sisters. And of course, it's Jesus that told us, it's by this that all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The Colossians had that. They lived in love with one another. Paul brings together here the three attributes of the Christian life that we see in so many of his other writings as well. Faith, love, and hope. Most notably, perhaps, is in 1 Corinthians 13, in that great chapter on love, when he concludes, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The flourishing of these Christian attributes within the church had caused the Colossian brothers and sisters to bear fruit for Jesus and to increase in their faith and knowledge in the message of the gospel. But something was happening and had gone wrong. Something was threatening the peace and purity of this group of believers. And the issues were serious enough that Epaphras was out of his depth. And he needed to see Paul face to face to explain to him the issues and to get some pastoral advice. So Pastor Epaphras travels the 1,200 plus miles to Rome to see Paul. And while he was there, it seems that he too became a prisoner. 
And after receiving the report from Epaphras, Paul, with his protege Timothy at his side, likely playing the scribe, set about writing his corrective in order to right the ship and restore the fellowship of the believers at Colossae. As a good teacher, Paul always brings his readers back to the basics. There's a story about the famous and amazing golfer, Jack Nicklaus. And those of you men who have seen me play golf are wondering why in the world is he using a golf illustration. (laughs) But it was Nicholas's habit every year at the beginning of the golf season to travel to Florida to seek out his mentor, his instructor, who had coached him from his teen years all the way through his professional career, Jack Grout. And he says that Grout would approach Nicholas every year as though he was a beginner of the game, no matter how good he had gotten, no matter how famous he was. And he'd tell him, okay, Jackie boy, let's look at your grip. Now let's look at your stance. And how about that ball position? Grout understood that without the fundamentals, without the basics, it's a shaky foundation to build upon. And that poor foundation would affect even somebody like Jack Nicholas's game. It must have the sound fundamentals. And Nicholas said, with them, good things should happen in your golf game. Without them, good luck. This consummate professional professional understood the importance of constantly getting back to the basics, the fundamentals of the game. How foolish for us then to think that once we've been saved, we have no more need of the gospel and that we should move on from that to build our Christian faith upon other things and other truths. But we cannot live an effective Christian life and grow in our walk with the Lord unless we are constantly coming back to the foundation and coming back to finding our sufficiency in Jesus Christ alone. This is the message of the book of Colossians. The members of this church had gotten distracted by many extra things and Paul saw his job as one of reminding them that Jesus and him alone was sufficient for all of their needs. Jesus was more than enough for the Colossians and he is more than enough for St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church and each one of us who belong to him. And so, Paul leaves their legacy behind and tells them how he is praying for them in the present. And in doing so, he lays out a way forward a foundational gospel vision for this church anchored in the preeminence and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look now at verse 9 and read from there. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, and here's the prayer, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. What a prayer. Let me put it into my own words, for me and for us. 
Oh, Lord, help us to know your will. Not in our limited, finite understanding, but in your spiritual wisdom and understanding. And God, as I look around upon my circumstances in this life, my broken relationships, my anxiety about tomorrow, my fears and doubts about my finances and my job, the absolute insanity that is going on in this world around us and in our culture, my struggle to accept your love for me, my failure in being able to break the patterns of sin and addiction in my life. God, help me to get my eyes off of myself and my problems and my issues and help me instead to see them as you see them in your wisdom. And then, as I begin to see your will in my life, help me to pursue it, to forsake my own dreams and desires and my failings. And instead, to walk in a manner worthy of you, you, fully pleasing to you. And then, Lord, help me to thrive and prosper in this pursuit. To bear much gospel fruit in my life and in everything I put my hand to. And help me to increase in the intimacy of my relationship with my Heavenly Father, knowing you as Savior and friend. And God, I know this isn't going to be easy. How do I know that? Because I failed so many times before. Because of my sinful condition. Because of my frail humanity. So Father, help me to persist. I can't persist in my own weakness. I need to be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might if I am to endure with patience and joy. I don't want to just grin and bear it and slog through. I want to live in the power of your Holy Spirit in joy. Folks, if you and I woke up every day of our lives and started out with this prayer that Paul prayed for this church, on behalf of our church, as well as us individually. Do you suppose God could do something with that? Is that a prayer that our Heavenly Father would delight to answer? Is that a prayer that resonates with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Is Jesus enough? Oh, some of you are a little slow on the draw there. <laughs> Indeed, Jesus is more than enough in the power of the gospel to provide us with a gospel vision. After sharing the contents of his prayer for them that God would give them a gospel vision, Paul comes full circle back to the basics of the gospel. As they had been reminded of their gospel legacy and challenged in prayer with a gospel vision, Paul also wanted to bring them back to a gospel foundation. In verse 12 and following we read, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Has Jesus saved you? 
Do you belong to him? Are you resting in his finished work on the cross for your salvation? If so, are you thankful for that reality? When was the last time you told him? Are you consumed with thanksgiving for the mercy and grace shown to you by God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you constantly telling him how thankful you are for what he has done for you? And if not, why not? Let let me submit that I think it's probably because we do not reflect and think about the gospel enough. The only way any of us could pray a prayer like Paul prayed with any measure of confidence or faith in it being answered is because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. That is our foundation. That is the starting place for asking something as big as this request. Paul brings them back to the basics. He tells them to be thankful to the Father. First of all, because he had qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Think about that for a minute. Your salvation begins and ends with our Heavenly Father. It's he that qualifies you. I was talking with my boys the other night around the table about who had qualified for the upcoming soccer World Cup. I was going to call it the football World Cup, but I knew I'd lose all of you and offend you. So we'll go with soccer, the soccer World Cup. And I was really pleased to hear that the American team had qualified this time around. And we're looking forward to watching some great matches in the fall. Each of those teams had to prove themselves. They had to meet a certain requirement in order to qualify to be in the World Cup. Well, entry into the presence of God, including spending eternity with him in his kingdom, requires that you are qualified by the judge of the universe. And unfortunately, I have some bad news. The qualification for heaven is perfection in holiness. You and I were disqualified before we were born. And no amount of good works can offset the sin that we carry on our backs. Every human who has ever lived is disqualified and without hope. But wait a minute, you might be saying, Paul said that the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Well, yes, I did misspeak. Every human who has ever lived except one, is disqualified and without hope. And that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, completely fulfilling the law of God, and as a result, is qualified before God the judge. And because Jesus the man is also the infinite eternal son of God, he is able to take his qualification status, his perfect obedience to God's law, his spotless record of righteousness, and transfer it to us, thereby making us qualified to live eternally with him 
and to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Are you thankful for that? But wait, there's more. He also has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Listen to how Paul describes this deliverance and this domain of darkness in his letter to the Ephesians, the church just 100 miles or so to the west of Colossae, where Epaphras first encountered Paul. And incidentally, we're going to see lots of parallel passages between Ephesians and Colossians, some almost word for word as we go through our study. In chapter 2, Ephesians, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God has delivered you out of the kingdom of darkness that Paul describes there, Satan's kingdom, and has made you alive in Christ. And again, I ask, is that something to be thankful for? Yes, of course. But wait, there's more. Not only did he deliver us from the domain of darkness but he, and, and transferred us into the kingdom of his, his beloved son. If pulling you from the clutches of Satan and the darkness of sin wasn't enough, now you get to live with Jesus to share in all his inheritance and benefits forever. And that reality doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. It's your reality now. Well, surely, if your heart hasn't been thankful to this point, it is now. But wait, there's more. This beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has also provided for you and for me redemption, forgiveness of sin. Listen to the familiar and beautiful words from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Beloved, because of Jesus and his finished work on the cross, the Father has taken all of your sin, all the junk, and he's removed it from you an infinite distance. It's gone as far as God is concerned forever. Never to raise its ugly head of accusation. So when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, and God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. 
Is Jesus enough when the accuser comes to you in the dead of night as you wrestle with your sin and he says, see, you're no good. You're a sinner. God couldn't love a wreck of a human like you. You tell Satan to go take a hike because your sin has been forgiven and it's covered by the precious blood of Jesus. Is Jesus enough? He is more than enough in the power of the gospel to provide us with a gospel foundation with which to build our faith upon. Far from being a classroom novelty for our academic amusement, Paul's theology of Jesus Christ is immensely practical for our walking in a way that honors the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing real fruit in all that we do, and deepening our relationship with the Father. The application of the word of God today for each of us is also relevant to St. Andrew's Church. St. Andrew's, give thanks for the gospel legacy of this church on the hill. Thank God for the legacy of faith in Jesus Christ, for the legacy of our love for one another, and for the legacy of our hope in the eternal promises of God and his word. But also, pray. No, I mean it. Really pray. Pray when you meet for small group. Pray when you meet for a team meeting. Pray when you meet for growth classes. Pray in youth group. Pray on the children's hall. Pray in the choir room. Pray at session meetings. Pray in deacons meetings. Pray in staff meetings. Pray, 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 and pray again. And pray this. God, give our church a gospel vision. A gospel vision to know you, to pursue you, And as we do this, cause us to thrive and grow and prosper for your glory and help us to persist and endure in this gospel vision, no matter the obstacles, no matter the difficulty, no matter the attacks. And Father, thank you for qualifying us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Thank you for delivering us from the kingdom of darkness. Thank you for transferring us into the kingdom of light and life. And thank you for redeeming and forgiving us through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul believed in the power of the gospel and he believed that God would answer his prayer for the church at Colossae. St. Andrews, I would challenge you to make this your prayer for yourselves and for our church in the days ahead, that God might be pleased to use us for his glory and the building of his kingdom here on earth. Let's pray. Indeed, Father, Would you give us a vision to know you, to pursue you in that knowledge? And Lord, would you cause us to thrive 
and to grow in the gospel and to prosper for your glory? And Father, would you help us in this to persist and endure in this gospel vision, no matter the odds? And Father, we thank you. We give you thanks for the salvation that we have in Christ, for qualifying us. We thank you for delivering us, for transferring us into the kingdom of light and life. And we thank you for redeeming us and forgiving our sins for the sake of your beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.